<clears throat> okay, so hi, it's Perry, and I'm coming to you today from the traditional territory of Champaign and Asiac First Nations in beautiful Dakwakata Haines Junction. And my guest today is Neil Fletcher. Neil, please introduce yourself. Hi, good morning. Uh, I'm Neil Fletcher um, of Cassiar Consulting, and I'm very honored and privileged to both live and work in the traditional territory of the Trondak Wichen here on the Yukon River, downriver from Dawson City. Thanks for joining me today, Neil. So tell us a little bit about uh, who you are as an no entrepreneur. Worries. So, uh, well, uh, I work as a management consultant now. Uh, here, I'm, I'm probably the most remote management consultant in the world, I guess. Uh, I'm 70 kilometers from Dawson City, uh, and there are not many management consultants in Dawson City uh, either. Um, but I'm originally from the UK, uh, and I had a 25-year career in the UK. I worked in senior management positions for some quite big uh, organizations. So I've worked for Rolls-Royce, Sky TV, a, a big European uh, media company. I've worked for the UK Nuclear Decommissioning Authority. Um, and I've worked as a consultant in the UK and run my own consultancy there as well as here. Um, so I have, I think, what is uh, politely termed a portfolio career. So I, I've done a lot of different things, uh, but they've been mainly in the realm of communications, marketing, and organizational development. And so when my wife and I moved to the North in 2012, um, I originally thought, well, I'm never gonna be able to do anything similar to what I used to do in London uh, here in the Yukon. But I have managed to prove myself completely wrong. And I am keeping very busy as a management consultant. And I do some work for um, First Nation governments, uh, for uh, development corporations, um, and also for NGOs and other businesses in the Yukon. And I have a couple of clients in BC too. Uh, so I've been very busy, uh, which has been fantastic. And we, we first met uh, during the pandemic because we were both coaching in the, uh, the Pivot program when it was first starting up. And, and I kept thinking, I gotta interview this Neil guy. He's got some interesting stuff to say. <laughs> Well I, well, I hope that's true, but, um, but thank you. Um, yeah, so, uh, yep, so I worked as a, um, a, co a coach consultant on the Pivot program, which is also very, very interesting for me because I got to meet a lot of uh, Yukon entrepreneurs, as, as I'm sure you did, uh, through that program. Uh, and what struck me about the program was that although many businesses needed specific skills, so whether that was marketing, sales, business development, uh, improving their digital presence, um, increasing their ability to interact with customers. A lot of what I found uh, the businesses I work with needed was that they were very smart people. Um, a lot of them, uh, women entrepreneurs, a vast majority, um, they were very knowledgeable about their product, their service, um, their business. They knew their customers. They knew their market. They knew what they wanted to achieve. But actually, what people were often lacking was some uh, self-belief or self-confidence or indeed just a bit of moral support because it's quite lonely being an entrepreneur. You're, you know, you're often on your own. You're trying to forge your own path. And whilst you may have colleagues, uh, you may have 
you know, fantastic customers, you may have a great network, but often it can be a lonely place. And um, that's hard uh, for some people. Um, and it's hard for a lot of people. So I think, you know, just having somebody to say, hey, you're doing the right thing. Yeah, that's a great idea. Go for it and believe in yourself and believe in what you do. I think that is really, really important for a lot of entrepreneurs. And, and that self-belief is something that some people struggle with, um, even though they may have a wonderful business idea, they may have great interpersonal skills, and they may have, you know, a really sound business concept too. But just that self-belief and motivation can be the the, the kind of the, the magic dust, if you like, that just gets people really, really, you know, fired up and going. And that's true not just of entrepreneurs, but also people who work within organizations as well. And of course, you know, let's not forget you can be an entrepreneur, you can be entrepreneurial within an organization even if that is a government or an ngo you can be very entrepreneurial in your approach you know how you uh lead your team or motivate people or how you run your operation whatever you're doing um you know those entrepreneurial skills of thinking a bit outside the box being determined uh, you know looking for new ways of doing things looking to bring other people on board with your idea being you know really excited and having an elevator pitch you know whether that's uh, about what your first nation government does or whether it's uh, an ngo or whether it's a commercial business you know all those skills are really very very transferable and and that's what's really exciting i think Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. I, I think you kind of nailed it. My, that was my first impression with the Pivot program too, is in the midst of all this global in, insecurity and uncertainty, how do we create an environment where our entrepreneurs can just feel a little bit secure, feel heard, and feel like they've got a bit of a team behind them to support those transitions in insecurity? Because you need that. Um, sometimes it's just uh, good to have somebody knowing that they're, they're in your corner. Yeah, no, absolutely. Just that bit of support and maybe a bit of um, uh, just affirmation that, that you are doing the right thing and that you are you are a good person and that you do have the skills and you do have what it takes to be an entrepreneur. Because it's, it's also, I think it's also very easy to, uh, you know, and, and some of us are more self-critical than others, but to go, oh, you know, I... I, I wish I were as successful as Elon Musk, but you know Elon Musk is like you know, you know perhaps the most successful entrepreneur in the world at the moment. You know, for sake of argument, and it's like, well, you know, if you're measuring yourself against Elon Musk, you're, you're probably not going to get there. It'd be unusual to 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 achieve in that sort of way. And and then who would want to necessarily? You have to be that kind of a person. But you know, that's not to say that you can't excel you know, in your own realm and in your own sphere. And that excelling can be, you have five customers or, you know, maybe you earn 25 grand from your business and that's absolutely fine. You know, not everybody needs or wants to be a multi-billionaire. And if you're not, that doesn't mean to say you're unsuccessful. And I think a lot of people measure themselves against these public figures or even, you know, maybe, a uh, you know a, a, a 
you know, a, a big business or, you know, their perception. And there's the, the self-critical voices that you have in your head that go, oh, that's not, you're never going to get there. Yeah, that, that's a stupid, idea. that's a really dumb idea. You know, we all have these these critical voices in our heads and, and sometimes they can be useful. But if you listen to them too much, then it can really kind of drag your enthusiasm down and then you question everything that you do. So, you know, again, that self-belief, I think, for for people on the pivot program but for others is really really important so taking your own insights here what are you learning about your business model uh well that's a very good that's a very good question uh yeah physician heal thyself um i've learned a lot um i'm just trying to think trying to think where to start um so i think one of the things is I had completely the wrong premise about my business. I thought I would perhaps be able to work remotely, but to be working for businesses in Calgary, Edmonton, Vancouver, uh, Toronto, you know, uh, a long way away. Because I thought, well, those are the only kind of businesses that are going to need, want, or be able to afford what I do. Um, and I was completely wrong about that. And I actually, uh, you know, my wife said to me, "Hey, why don't you why don't you look at some business lo- businesses locally? You know, I'm sure there's going to be some businesses that will need what you do." And I went, "Yeah, I'm not sure. And who's going to want some British guy who's like, you know, work for these multinationals and they're going to think I don't think that's very good." Fit. So here are my critical voices going, "Oh, they won't like you, and you know, they think you're rubbish." you know um and i went oh okay right so with my wife's encouragement i then went okay right i'll 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 give it a go oh oh the oh people are interested and you know it's not every organization and you know uh so so i think i I think it's you know i i started i should have listened to my the advice that i give my clients uh, i believe in yourself and maybe just explore what's going on out there um so that was my that was my first learning uh a second learning is that um and this is something that i'm really really um keen to do for the yukon as as a as a territory and that is to try and bring some big business skills and ways of doing things to yukon businesses and yukon organizations and um you can't just cut and paste those you can't just go well what works for bombardier or what works for SpaceX, uh, you know, will work in the Yukon. That's that's not true. But I think one of the things I have learned is that, you know, as Yukoners, we're very independent people. We're used to forging our own way, particularly as entrepreneurs. So Yukon entrepreneurs are particularly used to forging their own way. And we can be a little um, reticent sometimes to uh, accept ideas from other people and other sources. But I think we don't have to do that completely and we don't have to do that with a totally uncritical eye, but to go, okay, well, here's how, you know, these organizations like BP or ExxonMobil do things. Um, It's not going to work exactly like that for us, but what can we learn from that and apply to our own businesses? So, you know, thinking about being, you know, looking forward, looking at the future, looking at markets and customers, you know, how is that developing? Because, you know, uh, you know, in the Yukon, we are a long way from most other places, but the world is very interconnected now. So, you know, 
what happens in Mumbai or um, Shanghai, you know, doesn't immediately affect what goes on in the Yukon, but those ripples will will be felt here. You know, uh, what Google, Facebook, um, or Canada Post decide to do has a big bearing on, on what happens in the Yukon. So we are affected by uh, international and national uh, trends. So it's so it's important to be aware of those, to to look ahead and embrace them, and to go, okay, how's this going to work in the Yukon for us? And I think that's that's really important, so we don't get caught out and left behind, because you know our our economy here is very government um, orientated, and then after that, resources and particularly mining. And there are big changes happening in both of those things. You know, government has had to change a lot given the COVID crisis and governments are evolving in how they work with their people and how they deliver their services. So, so that's one big change. And, you know, mining, you know, we are very commodity resource um, dependent in the Yukon. And mining companies are changing a lot very fast. They are merging. You know, we saw the merger of um, uh, Newmont and Goldcorp just recently. Um, so the the mining uh, companies that are there and the the services that Yukon businesses sell to them need to adapt. You know, um, artificial intelligence, automation, increasing focus on the environment. These are all trends that are happening within the territory and. They are all good things because, you know, we want our mining companies to be responsible, to treat the land and resources with care. Um, and, and there are opportunities for Yukon businesses within that. So, but, but it's important to, to recognize those. Does that answer your question? Sorry, I, I went off on a bit of a tangent there, but I hope that answered your question. No, I totally did. I think, um, I mean, you're, you're certainly starting to see where where your opportunities are as a as an entrepreneur and and more so it sounds like that's your opportunity is to really help the Yukon unlock its potential and learn from you know this more in, increasingly interconnected business environment in which we're operating yeah I, I hope so I, I I hope that's right yeah so what are you learning about your customers over the last you know nine months um well uh I've got a very different customer base uh, now than I did um, even, a, even a year ago. Um, I think uh, my customers are uh, individuals and organizations that have issues and have recognized they have an issue with something, whether that's the, um, uh, their ability to engage with their citizens or the quality of services they deliver to their citizens or um, they've realized they could perhaps be more profitable, but they're not quite sure how to how to get there. So um, there are people who have recognized that they have uh, an issue and they've suddenly had to contend with this huge upheaval in the world uh, of not being able to interact personally with people, which is very hard. And some people find that harder than others. And obviously it depends on your business model. And if you're in a uh, a business that that naturally has interactions with with people in uh, hospitality or um, uh, hairdressing and beauty, for example, then that's had an enormous impact on your business. But for everybody, people have had to learn, even if you work in a in a, a government department, how to work from home effectively, how to um, interact with other people virtually, and and it's really quite a skill, uh, you know. 
in a face-to-face interaction, you pick up on all those nonverbal cues, people's, uh, you know, expression and body language and all of those kinds of things. And when you're interacting virtually with people, it's much harder. And almost, you know, you have to be a bit more like an actor in a pantomime. And you see very, very subtle performances on, on film people with a slight move of the eyebrow or the eye they convey a you know a, a thought or a feeling but if you do that on a on a zoom call like this or you know over the telephone people are not going to pick up on that so it's harder to form relationships with people so uh you know you have to remember you almost have to amplify your you know you see a lot of people on zoom calls going doing a very very cheesy kind of thumbs up and there's a reason for that is it's you know you are communicating that you agree um that you are in touch and in tune with that other person and that's that's really important so you know that ability to to flex to a different medium of communication is really important and and that's because business is all about forming relationships with other people and you know getting the best out of that relationship you know not trying to just get out of that person what you need but trying to understand what does the other person need and want and and finding that sweet spot in the middle where your and their needs and wants cross over um and so being able to form those relationships effectively, given these, these new circumstances in which we find ourselves, is really, really important. And people who are able to learn how to do that, I have noticed, are far more successful and continue to be successful, even given these difficulties. Interesting. Yeah, early on, I sort of thought about uh, as it felt like we were, because I think, sorry, to begin, both of us are connecting from rural Yukon. So moving mm-hmm. everything to a more uh, online space for us has opened up an opportunity to participate in things that normally we wouldn't be able to. And I certainly do find myself sort of like at times, you know, engaging this like little screen that I have this platform of like, you know, trying to figure out how you, you get those subtle yep. cues or things that you would have imparted through energy or body language when you're meeting in person and figuring out how to, you know, compel the idea forward using this platform which um you know has sort of been a sink or swim for those of us in rural yukon who do this sort of consulting work yeah absolutely and i think it's um that's one aspect of it and and obviously you know um there was a danger that we were going to lose our ability to work remotely you know there was a danger that explornet were going to turn off their service so you know that was pretty serious for a while um and um you know i was really concerned about that and you know there were 600 accounts apparently in the yukon that were affected and that you know there's probably not that many of us who are consultants who work remotely but but I, I guess we have an effect on the on the economy of of the Yukon. But there are all those other people and businesses, you know, mining camps and other remote camps, um, as well as people who rely on that service to connect with friends and family, or you know, maybe they have to have online counselling or telemedicine, or you know, there are lots and lots of reasons why people have their internet connection, or just because life—that's how life works now. If you 
do your banking or you know you need to order stuff you need an internet connection because you know that's how life works now you know even if you are very very remote or live in a remote community you need that access and it's important for people with families you know for education and for connectivity for kids and entertainment and everything almost comes over the internet now so it's a really really important tool for people yes and we were in danger of losing that and that would have been catastrophic uh for the yukon i think Oh, certainly. And I think about my my time actually working up in your neck of the woods at 60 Mile or Bury Creek property with Alexco mm-hmm. and with the Alexco property and, and just the importance of that reliable internet mm-hmm. connection and increasing increasing yep. Yep. Um, increasing that capacity, which you know enabled you know a higher level of productivity in the work that we were doing. Mm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And I and I think I think Sorry, Kara, I was just going to say, I think, you know, just building on what you were saying, you know, capacity, you know, we hear capacity building is really important for the Yukon. And that's a phrase that you hear a lot. And uh, I always, I used to wonder, oh, what is that capacity building? What, what does that mean? Uh, does that mean having a larger office or what does that, what does that mean? And um, I think, you know, there, there are a couple of really important things in terms of capacity building at the Yukon. And one is skills and, um, you know, related to, you know, the rise of the digital economy, I would say that here our digital skills are, are lacking. You know, I, I, the, there are some, some uh, really smart tech people in the Yukon. There are some, some fantastic tech entrepreneurs, um, but I think by and large within organizations, tech skills are pretty lacking. So if you look at the, for example, the quality of websites and, and organizations' ability to, to interact digitally with customers, they're quite low. Um, and I think if you want, you know, a if you go, I, I understand that this is low, can you help me fix this issue? There are not that many people who can actually help you, who have the right skills to do that there, there are a number of people who um, have digital skills but but not necessarily exactly the right ones for the work that is needed here so so i think digital skills and generally business skills i've found you know customer service is not always as good as it could be if you go across the border into the us you see a marked change in people's attitude to customer service now, I'm not saying we should adopt everything about the U.S. business model, and clearly that wouldn't be right. But, but I see Yukon businesses that really suffer from poor customer service, and that's not true of every business. I've stayed in a lot of, you know, hotels and eaten in a lot of places where you get great customer service, you get a great experience, and clearly those people really believe in what they're doing and um, believe in 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 serving customers well. But Generally, throughout the Yukon, you get poor customer service compared to across the border and certainly compared to um, um, a, a bigger place. And, and I think this is this is hampering uh, those uh, consumer focused businesses, but also people who sell to other businesses, too. There, there, there is a lack of understanding of customers and an ability to, you know, really meet customers demands, be interested in customers and understand them and serve them well. And that would really transform the 
business in the Yukon. That, that there's a real unlocked potential and value there for a lot of businesses, mm. and they really a lot of businesses do not appreciate that. Um, some do, and they do really well because of it but and, and some do okay anyway because there's a vast number of people coming through in rvs or there's a vast amount of business that comes to their door anyway but you know take away some of those guarantees like we have at the moment with a poor uh, through flow of tourists almost to zero you know how do businesses cope well those with good customer service will still do well because people will keep coming back to them and will come back to them quickly when they can so i think you know digital skills customer service and then i think for you know um larger organizations there are uh, skills such as internal communications um you know organizational efficiency that that really could be developed better you know you know, many organizations struggle to align themselves from the top down. So whether that is chief and council, whether that's a commercial board, whether that is an executive leadership team, you know, setting a vision, setting strategic priorities. Uh, some organizations do do that. But then how do you get that, those strategic priorities then embedded in the organization, get everybody, you know, squarely behind them, understanding them, believing in them, and making sure that what uh, everybody in the organization is doing is supporting and heading towards those strategic priorities. And that is something that, again, is, I mean, you see that in, in um, you know, you'd see that across Canada. Uh, very few organizations are actually very skilled at doing that. But particularly in the Yukon, the, the, there is a big gap. So you have a lot of very enthusiastic, motivated people. You have a very enthusiastic, motivated uh, council or, or board but somehow there's a bit of a disconnect in the middle. And so effort is not focused as, as well as it could be. So, so I think you know, that's another area of capacity building is those organizational skills um, can really transform how an organization serves its customers, serves its citizens, or, or serves the general population. I think that's one of the things that certainly my observations in the pivot program in its, you know, in, in initiation is so many of the entrepreneurs took the opportunity to really look at their backend processes and find efficiencies in mm -hmm. how they were sort of moving money or clients or information through sort of the infrastructure of their business and took that sort yep. of reset time to, to, you know, integrate new technologies for the most part so that, you know, their social mm -hmm. media was talking to their POS or whatever, you yep. know, what, whatever their opportunities yep. look like. And, and certainly it's been my observation, in the territory living here for gosh, like 15 years now, like we, we still have a lot of work mm -hmm. to do in terms of that back end integration. Sometimes it feels like we haven't really um, done much more than evolve the old paper file uh, system and tried to sort of like create a digital representation of it. And I think actually that's yep. that interview that I did with Inga not too long ago. And, you know, she's, mm. she's really clear. The, the thing that was my big takeaway is, you know, you know, digitizing the arts doesn't mean building a website, you know, and, yep. and I think that's like digitizing the processes of a government or a corporation or a small business doesn't necessarily mean taking that information that you had in file form and put it into a digital form. Like it's a very different way of thinking about your information flow, the structures, mm -hmm. approval processes. It's a, 
it's a much mm -hmm. deeper systems change. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's, it's as much about changing a mindset as changing the processes, you know, and it's the same whether it's, you know, that digitization or whether it's customer service, it's, it's about mindset. It's how, how are you thinking about your organization? How are you thinking about your company? And therefore, you know, how do I do things in a more efficient and effective way? And maybe that's going to be quite different from how I used to do it. And that's hard. You know, change is hard for people. Uh, and nobody likes change. Everybody likes to. I like to have my cup of coffee uh, in the morning in the way that I like it. I don't want to have to change to have, you know, some, I don't want a hazelnut, hazelnut uh, um, syrup in it or something. You don't know. Um, but I know a lot of people do like that. Um, so, you know, we get, we get, we get used to doing things in a certain way and it's hard to change. But, and, and then this is another, you know, a bit of a key capacity building, which is, you, you know, entrepreneurs are actually naturally good at change because they are trying to shake things up often. They're trying to do things differently. They're trying a new market product service or, or, you know, just tackling it in a different way. So entrepreneurs are naturally good at change. Um, but then you can hit a point where, things are not working as well as they could be or your business grows to a certain size and then you have to change your mindset and certainly among some some entrepreneurs are fantastic at developing products and services and getting them out to the market but they may not necessarily have the um uh, the skills to understand customers or maybe they're great at understanding customers but they they don't have that that ability to look at um, the processes that you did described so i think you know it's understanding where where those gaps are and um changing a mindset is really really important and you know there are lots of there's lots of writing about change and change management and it is a hard thing to do but you know those change management skills are also really key and the clients that i work with you know a lot of that is about changing how things have been done in the past to how could they be better and People want things to be better, but they don't want to change. So it's, you know, it, it's also helping organizations to um, understand, you know, what's in it for me? Why should I change? What's the benefit to me, to the organization, to our citizens, to our customers from doing that? And that is, a, uh, again, that's about um, helping people, engaging people, communicating and helping people to understand and you know, going back to what we were saying earlier, it's it's about combining that that ability to look at process and the ability to look at people, and finding how you change the mindset and the people to change the processes. Because if you don't change the mindset, people will not work with those processes, or they will undermine them subconsciously because they don't like them and they don't feel invested in them. So, you know, getting, getting both sides of that equation are, are really important. And, and that's really key for very successful businesses and, and successful organizations. I'm going to ask you a really big question. And I, I didn't ask you, you know, okay. I didn't. We, so we're talking about organizational change. And, you know, we began, we began this interview with, uh, you know, acknowledging the traditional territories that we reside on, right, which is, mm -hmm. We are, I, you yeah. know, I think I, I feel honored and blessed and very privileged every day to, to be living and working within traditional territory of a self-governing First Nation mm. and for mm. mm -hmm. Yukon to, you know, be moving and learning and leading 
uh, in self-government. And I think, you know, when we look at our, our business community as a whole or our economy as a whole, you know, there is a need for change when it comes Mm -hmm. to these old ways of colonization in which we're still operating within, we're still in many ways operating within a bit of a, a colonial paradigm. What insights Mm -hmm. or ideas or discoveries have you sort of made, especially during this period of transformation about, I don't know, anything related to that? Wow, that is a big question. Um, So, you know, coming from Europe, coming from the UK, we don't have the equivalent of an Indigenous First Nation um, culture. So this has been a, a very steep learning curve for me coming you know as a, a as a recent uh, immigrant to Canada and the Yukon so um, I've had to learn very fast and I've been really fortunate that uh, you know and the um, Trondek Wechen government runs a fantastic course for for people not familiar with their culture the TH101 course which was really excellent and gives you a really great grounding in some of the principles of land claims and some of the um, misconceptions about First Nation people and Indigenous culture. Uh, so, so you know, coming as a, into the Yukon as an immigrant, that was really, really great grounding. Uh, and I've been really, really lucky to to work with um, a lot of First Nation people who have been very generous in their advice and guidance and um, sharing their knowledge, both of uh, a cultural knowledge and organizational knowledge and knowledge of the land as well, because, you know, where we live, we live very much on the land um, in the traditional territory of the Trondekwechan. And, you know, for our friends and neighbors to share their uh, advice and guidance about how to do that better has been, you know, really invaluable. Um, I think one of the things, uh, I think you're absolutely right. I think there is still, although the Yukon is at the forefront of land claims and self-government, you know, and that is fantastic. And, and um, you know, certainly uh, Champagne-Ajac, First Nation, are blazing the, the trail uh, in terms of that, um, you know, at, at Canada-wide. Um, I think there is, um, there is a need for a, for a shift. It still feels like it is very, as you described, very colonial. Um, and I think there are... Well, there, there, there are so many issues, and I, and I am absolutely no expert, but from my limited um, experience, I would say that, um, again, I think it's about self-confidence. And, you know, uh, First Nations have developed a huge self-confidence in the Yukon in terms of negotiating and settling land claims. And, and that has been fantastic. I think for me, the next step is building that self-confidence from uh, in the ability to generate wealth and prosperity for citizens. And you do see that. It does work well in, in some place that could be done there. And I think building um, confidence and skills in communities so people can get, you know, good jobs, the best job that they want to have, that they can see a career in front of them. And whether that be a heavy equipment operator or a beauty technician or a uh, 
business consultant or whatever people want to do with their career, uh, I think it's it's important that people can see that they have the skill, the ability to do that, and they are given the opportunities to do that too. So that's partly, I think there are lots of opportunities for people, you know, lots of training courses, there's lots of funding, but I see a reticence amongst people to sometimes take hold of those opportunities because essentially in the past people have been told, you, you stick in your place, don't you have ideas about above your station? And, and that is something that is very hard, I think, for people to, to come to terms with. So I think you see that in, in younger generations, people are more willing to go, wow, I think I really do think the world is my oyster. Um, and that is really, really heartening. But trying to build people's self-confidence and build the motivation, I think is really important. And that will take some time. So I think that, that, that leap in wealth and prosperity and uh, having a, uh, an almost uh, unfettered um, you know, view of the future w will take some time. But I see that coming and that is really, really exciting. And I think actually the Yukon really is at the forefront of this stuff. So uh, I feel very privileged to, you know, to, to observe that, experience it, um, and to work with some of the people who are actually you know, leading that it is, is a fantastic privilege. Um, have you picked up any new skills over the last couple of months? Anything for your own sort of lifelong learning? Uh, wow. I, I sort of, I feel as I'm sort of constantly learning uh, living in the Yukon. Um, well, I, I'm constantly learning how to get my snow machine unstuck. Um, and, and that is, that is a, a very steep learning curve. Um, I think in terms of, um, you know, my, my, well, so there are, there are two aspects to it. One, one is, one is the sort of wider life where I feel that I'm on such an enormous learning curve that every day is a, is a learning experience and I'm getting things wrong and, you know, uh, trying to work out how to, how to do things better and, 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 you know, how to use the chainsaw better or, you know, getting firewood or whatever it is that there is so much to learn there fishing. I'm terrible, terrible at fishing. Um, and I really do need some, some help with that. Um, in terms of, uh, of my, uh, my paid work, if you like, um, then uh, that is also uh, a constant learning curve because again, I'm, you know, I'm coming from, um, with my career and experience, but I'm actually learning a lot from, um, other Yukoners about how business works here and how how people are here and uh, I have needed to learn how to adapt my you know I, I worked for many years in London and the pace of life in London is 100 miles an hour and in business I've worked with some very you know I've worked for a media company where everything everything is you know you've got a new film a new a, a new docudrama coming out uh, a new eight eight season series from HBO, uh, you know, everything happens like, like mega fast. So I have to learn to, to slow down and be more patient. Um, and because things happen here uh, more slowly and that's understandable. Uh, and actually it's the right thing to do too often. It's, if you go too fast, 
you're just gonna you know there's, there's that old adage about you know move fast and break things uh if you work in silicon valley and uh that's okay if you're doing software because the worst that's going to happen is you're going to have to turn the computer off on and off again but if you're dealing with people's careers and lives and you know you're providing really crucial services to the local community you don't want to be moving fast and breaking things um uh, you want to be doing things properly and carefully and thoughtfully um so i have to learn very much to be uh patient uh, and and not to operate at london speed um and I, i'm lucky that i work with some fantastic clients and and i sit on a, a board as well and i have some fantastic fellow board members uh, who are very generous in giving their advice and, and guidance to me. Uh, and so I found that a very valuable learning experience. Uh, and I'm very new to the Yukon. You know, my wife and I have only lived here for six years or so. So we're, we're, we're very new and we're still learning about life here. So um, uh, a lot of learning. Um, what's been keeping you grounded? What's sort of your wellness practice to, to keep you sane? Well, I, I'm very lucky uh, because of where we live uh, and I mainly work part-time anyway. So in the mornings, I'm doing my management consultancy work. I'm, I'm doing my paid work. Um, and then in the afternoon, it's time to get wood or get water or fix the snow machine. Um, you know, so yesterday was a kind of typical example um, we have a, a wood cutting area up our creek and sometimes the creek freezes well and sometimes it doesn't freeze well so we've had to do some uh we, we found a lot of down trees so they're fantastic for firewood in a year or two's time once they're they're, they're dried out but trying to get them they're only about a kilometer up our creek but there's about four or five places where the creek has bust open. So we've had to reinforce the, the ice with some branches and trying to get it to overflow and thicken the ice. And we managed to get three loads out. So then we have to keep going back and, and uh, checking the trail and shovel some snow and, you know, in the right places and pack it down. And so all of this, uh, you know, by the time we've done that, that's, that's it, it's dark. Uh, and I've had a, a full body workout as well um so that that is my that is my wellness balance if you like is the rest of life um so whether it's wood cutting or hauling wood that 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 creates a lot of balance <laughs> that sounds about right yeah um any sort of major aha moments for you or worldview shifts over the past couple of months um well that's a good question Oh, well, uh, that's another big question. Well, I, I guess uh, a couple of things. One is uh, I'm very grateful to be living where we are in Canada because I think Canada is taking the pandemic very seriously. Um, and, you know, we're very lucky in the Yukon that we are very spread out in a very large amount of territory. Um, so we are far more insulated from the um, threats of the pandemic than you know in the south of Canada or the big cities so I've been very grateful for that I'm extremely grateful that I don't live in the US um, and that sounds a bit glib but there are lots of reasons for that and you know they're struggling with their democracy I think 
um, in many ways. Um, it's a very unequal society. That's not to say that you know society in Canada is is uh, all hunky dory and everything is fine, but it is a much more equal society in Canada uh, and in the Yukon too, I think, um, and far more harmonious in its relations um, between communities. Um, and that is a real strength of the Yukon, I think. And, and coming to that realization, you know, almost in contrast to other places in the world, um, I think has been quite eye-opening. Um, and whilst in all parts of the world, there have been many people who have been completely selfless and have pulled together and, uh, and done the right thing, you know, on the odd occasion when we go into Dawson, everybody's wearing masks inside. Nobody's, you know, not wearing their mask because we have elders, uh, we have vulnerable people in the community. Um, it's the right thing to do and people do it. Um, so there is that, that sense of, wow, this is, this, this is a community um, that looks after it, each other. Um, and that has been a great thing. What are your, um, what are your hopes sort of as like the Yukon emerges from this pandemic? What are your hopes sort of for, for what we build in terms of our economy and business community going forward? Mm, um, well, that's, that's another, lots of big questions, Carrie. Um, uh, so you're, you're asking me to be a futurologist now. I know. Um, which is not my, which not my core values. Your hopes and values. My hopes and values. Yeah, yeah, no. Okay, sure. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. Um, so my hope is that, and my belief is that the Yukon economy will spring back quickly. Uh, I think, you know, because we are relatively isolated um, geographically and pandemically, um, I, I think we will spring back quickly. Um, I think uh, we're more likely to have that, you know, steep recovery spring back in the economy than, than other places. Um, I mean, there are some issues with that because we depend very much on tourism. For example, if tourists start coming again, there is the danger of, of further outbreaks, but you know, you have to strike the, the right balance. Uh, so I, I can also see our minds opening up quickly um, because those companies will be keen to get going as, as soon as they can. So I, I think we'll have a, a good bounce back in the economy. I think, I hope that, you know, people have learned something from having to endure this pandemic. You know, we've, we've had to learn about different ways of communicating. Uh, I think it has brought our communities together more. Um, we've sort of realized, I think, more about the, the value of community um, and all the people within it and how valuable people are. Uh, so I think that's, that's a great thing. Um, and I think it has also shown, um, you know, resilience and entrepreneurship in the wider sense of the word. You know, people have found solutions to getting things done and keeping stuff moving. Um, and whether that's our, you know, the great people who work in healthcare or our emergency services, but, but just generally businesses have been very adaptable, um, you know, to do curbside delivery. And, and you know, I know, you know, some of the clients I work with in the Pivot program, we're doing all sorts of, you know, really innovative things to get products and, and stuff to people. Um, 
you know, uh, despite the, the restrictions of the pandemic. So I, I hope that that innovation that uh, has been forced upon people, people will go, oh, actually, oh, this works a lot better. Well, we'll keep this, even if there isn't a pandemic. This is, this is fun or this works better or, you know, this is a great way to meet people or we'll do that as well. Uh, and, I, and so I hope we can go back to all the great things that we do, you know, parties and dinner parties and, uh, you know, meeting up with people, uh, but also keep some of these innovations that, that have been uh, almost forced on us from the pandemic. So that, that would be my, a few of my hopes, I guess. And any, any songs, podcasts, books, movies, anything like that that you'd recommend that's getting you through? Um, well, th there's actually a, a podcast that um, uh, my wife found, uh, which, which is, is very interesting. Uh, uh, it's, it's actually from the UK, uh, and it's called How to Fail uh, with Elizabeth Day. Uh, and she talks to people about their three biggest failures in life. And whilst this might seem a little downbeat, um, it's actually you know, they are often very successful people uh, from, um, you know, they might be writers or actors or activists. Um, and it's very interesting to hear them talk about failures and what they learned from that and then how they have changed and succeeded either despite or because of that failure. Um, and those failures can be all sorts of different things. They can be professional failures. They can be very personal failures and people are very open about how they talk about their failures um and it's really it's really fascinating and it really gives you insight into other people's lives and how people have coped with adversity it's sometimes enormous of adversity um and so that that's been that's been really yeah that's been a a, a great thing um and that's certainly a podcast i'd recommend to other people sounds great Thank you. Hey, thanks so much for your time today, Neil. No worries at all, Carrie. Thank you so much for the opportunity to talk to you. I really, really enjoyed it. Thanks so much. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. I think we're done recording. It's still